scripture this morning is from John 20, 19 through 31. And, and in case you're following along, this picks up right where we left off last Sunday. So we're right in line. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Please join me in prayer. Father, we're grateful for your word this morning. May it be a testimony to the living word, Jesus Christ, and may the word be like a seed. May it be planted in good soil in our hearts. May it germinate, grow, and bear fruit for all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's start with a correction. In the scripture it says, uh, Thomas or Jesus is talking to Thomas and he says, do not doubt, but believe. And the word there is not doubt. This is not about doubt. Thomas is famous for doubting, right? We all, we all know doubting Thomas. Uh, it never mentions doubting here. Uh, the word there is disbelief. It's um, without faith. And so Jesus is telling him, don't disbelieve, but believe. We're going to talk about belief this morning. And uh, our way in is uh, good old Thomas, like the patron saint of um, like practically everybody. You know, we all, have, we all have some point in our life when we sort of wrestle with doubt in some way, or we wrestle with disbelief. Um, we're not entirely, we feel like we're on the fringe sometimes of this whole believing thing. And, uh, and we kind of want to keep it a secret because church is a place for believers. And if we have moments of disbelief, we feel like we need to be kind of on the outside. And then so we come across a character like Thomas and we think, there we go. That's my guy. I'm with him. 
Thomas shows us two different kinds of belief. Um, one of the reasons we identify with him is because he's, he seems justified in being upset at this point. All the other disciples got to do the Jesus thing. Jesus comes and shows them the scars and all this stuff and gets to talk to him. Thomas doesn't. And they're like, oh, you, you just believe. He's like, I want what you have. And I think we all kind of identify with that. We all read the Bible, we all read the Gospels, and we think, man, if only we were there. It'd be so different for me. If only I was there. Um, it feels like what they're asking Thomas to do is a kind of blind faith, which is one kind of faith. When we think of faith, we sometimes think it's like a leap of faith, right? It's, it's this kind of like uh, 10 impossible things that you believe before breakfast. You know, like, uh, we're not like this in any other part of our life, but, you know, we, we have like a list, you know, Trinity, Incarnation, Jesus will come again, etc., etc. And we, we, we sort of believe all those things, and we just accept it on blind faith, and then we go about our lives, and that's one form of belief. And Thomas is like, nah, I want more than that. And so there's this other kind of belief, and we could call it like the detective kind of faith or an investigative kind of belief. It's a, it's a kind of belief where we inspect, we get our magnifying glass, we take samples, and we sort of like prove it all. We build a strong case for what it's supposed to be. And that seems to be like what Thomas is up to here. So those are two kinds of faith, and I think both of those are a part of the life of faith. But what I think our scripture is telling us, more is, uh, telling us about this morning is a more... Um, is a fuller kind of faith than those two. Something we could say more robust, something richer, something three-dimensional, um, and on, honestly, something more human. And the way we come into this is Jesus' statement where he says, as the Father sends me, so I send you. And the word I'm going to use for this is craft. Craft. Faith as a craft. Now, when I say craft, I'm not talking, you know, I'm not limiting it to scrapbooking or woodworking or something like that. It could be writing excellent code. It could be excellence in um, project management. Um, it, it could be, I mean, any number of things. Uh, most of us don't feel like we've mastered the art of parenting, for those of us who are parents. Um, but still, parenting is a form of craft. Uh, craft is a bigger part of our life than just these sort of limited hobby kinds of areas, but sometimes it is helpful to think of those. Um, gardening is a really interesting one because uh, blind faith comes a lot into gardening a lot of times. Because, because I often hear this from people, they're like, you know, I can't garden. Oh, well, why can't you garden? I just don't have the green thumb. Green, that's, that's mythology. P uh, plants don't care what color your thumb is, it turns out. And so if your plants are dying, um, it, it, it may not be a green thumb, it may not be magical, it, it might be water, it might be soil, it might be sunlight, uh, it could be disease, um, like practical things, like real things, you know. And so craft has this, this aspect to it of like real stuff. And so does um, our faith. So does our faith. But fundamental, fundamental to faith as a craft is, is what Jesus does before he meets Thomas, this, 
this sort of uh, account we read right before he comes to Thomas. And there's, there's three things about it that I want to talk about that reveal to us uh, craft as, or faith as craft. Um, it begins the way any sort of craft begins. It begins with the end. Um, if you have ever gotten into some sort of craft, some sort of discipline or something like that, probably the way you got into it was because you saw the final result and you were blown away. Wow, that is amazing. How can I do that? You saw a beautiful table and you thought, I want to build a table. You saw somebody's gorgeous garden and you thought, how do I grow a garden like that? I want tomatoes like that. Or you tasted them and you thought, oh, I, the only way to have tomatoes like this is to grow them. How do I do it? Right? So it always starts at the end. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you wanted to be an actor and you saw a great actor and you, and you said, I want to act like that or something like that. You, you get where I'm going. Okay. So that's how it happens with Jesus. Disciples are in a room, the door's locked, they're afraid of getting killed. Not only that, but they're feeling pretty darn guilty for abandoning Jesus when he was crucified because they all dispersed. So they're all in a not great space. And then Jesus appears. And the first thing he says is, what did you do? I can't believe you guys, I'm so mad. No, that's not what he says. He says, peace be with you. First thing he says is, peace be with you. So Jesus, does, Jesus comes to them and brings a way of life that is immediately attractive. It's the ability to forgive and to move forward in relationship. It's the ability to repair these relationships that he once had. And this is immediately beautiful to them. And it's, I think it's beautiful to us. Who doesn't want this kind of relationship? This kind of relationship of peace. There's nothing worse than conflict with those you love. And immediately he comes to them and he says, I am here to bring you peace. And so they see it and they're blown away. So that's the first, that's the first step. And then the second thing is, okay, we want to know how this happened. So I, I have a bad habit. If I see like a handmade piece of furniture, I immediately get on the floor or I open the drawers and I want to inspect how it's made. You know, I'm looking at the joints, um, something like that. I want to see how is this done? Or if I see someone with a great looking garden, you know, we're, we're diving into questions about what are you using for compost? How is that going? What's your weeding method? Do you weed? What's mulch? Do you have mulch? What's your watering system? On and on and on. So we're getting into the nuts and bolts. That's true really any craft. Once you get to see the end result, you think, how do I get there? And you start learning about the craft. That's the second thing Jesus does, is he shows them how he did it. He shows them by showing them his redeemed body with scars. He, he's the risen Christ. He doesn't need scars. And he shows them his scars. This is astonishing. Now, he's... He's not showing all the nuts and bolts of how we get to where he got because he's had three years with them. But he's, he's, he's sort of summarizing it all in the body with the scars. And the first thing to see is that if, he is, if he's going to train these people up in the way of forgiveness, in the way of peace, the very first thing, and a lot of you already know this because you've walked through this process with somebody in forgiveness or something like that, the very first thing that should always happen is a truthful story. 
And what I mean by that is those scars are the record of what happened to Jesus and he has them forever. That story never goes away of what people did to him. It never disappears. There's no such true forgiveness is not forgive and forget. True forgiveness is first of all telling a truthful story about what happened. And that's what he has. He has the story inscribed on him for eternity. Ah, but the scars are healed. They're not just gaping open. They're not just open wounds where he's eternally suffering. The scars are healed. And so he has shown them, one, how to be honest about pain and suffering, but then also how to heal from it. He shows them how it works. He shows them how peace is made. Peace is not going in and saying, ah, it's all in the past and the past is past and we're just going to move forward and act like it never happened. But it's also not going in there and saying, guys, we're going to hash this out for about a thousand years and, and you're going to pay. It's not that either. It's the way of forgiveness. Now, again, it's not all here. He's had three years with them, telling them to love their enemies. He's been teaching them for all this time. But it does sort of get encapsulated in the body with the scars, the healed scars. This is the moment when, after this, this second phase of showing the body and the scars, there's, a, there's now a, a third moment uh, in, in the progression of any craft, but also what we're seeing here. And the third moment is that the apprentice has to some point practice the craft. The apprentice has learned, the apprentice has seen it, has watched, and now it's the responsibility of the apprentice to go out and do likewise. And so he says, so as the Father sent me, so I send you. The Father sent me to do this work in the world, now I'm commissioning you to do the work that I've been doing in the world, and now this is up to you. This requires real discernment. An apprentice has a responsibility. And so he says, whatever you forgive is forgiven. Whatever you bind is bound. Um, he gives his disciples responsibility over forgiveness of sins. They're not just copying. They're not just going through the motions. They actually are given power and responsibility to go out and do what he has commissioned them to do. In other words, he's inviting them into a form of skill, discernment, wisdom, I want you to practice the way of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a craft. It's not, a, it's not one of these absurd faith things that we just sort of think and like, okay, I forgive. We have to practice it. We have to embody it. Jesus has shown them how, and now they have to go out in the world and do it. But they don't have to do it alone. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He gives them the Spirit. He gives them His Spirit. This makes me think of how, how often when I'm, when I'm trying to do something that requires some level of school, skill, I often think, I often have the voices of past mentors in my head telling me things. Like if I'm, if I'm working on something and I'm, I seem to be hurrying, I could hear one mentor saying, um, um, slow is, what is it? Uh, now I don't have it. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Um, I, I always think of that because I'm always going too fast. Or, um, or if I'm out in the garden, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about to like destroy a weed and then I can hear another mentor saying, what's that weed there for? What's it telling you about the soil? What's it saying about the soil? And I can hear their voice. 
And so I think, I think there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit does that for the disciples, is, is sort of guiding them in the craft and reminding them of everything Jesus had said. He literally says that's the Spirit's job. The Spirit will remind you of everything I taught you. But I also think there's something more to it than that. And in fact, this may be where, where my craft analogy kind of disintegrates. Because in this scenario, the master, the, the apprentice does not overtake the master. Where in a lot of other crafts, that's sort of the idea. Eventually the apprentice overtakes the master. But here, the master is eternal. God is infinite love. We never can exceed the love or power of the master. And so we may be at this for decades. We may be at this for a really long time and it won't matter. We're always learning. Always, always learning. We're always trying to understand the skill of forgiveness. We're always trying to figure out how do we pray? We're always encouraging, um, encountering our own need for forgiveness, to receive forgiveness, not just extend it to others. This is why I think uh, Benedict used to always say, uh, we always begin again. Once in a while, we can say um, what I've heard countless people say on countless projects I've done, whether it was building a shed or when I um, built a porch with my brother and my uncle and my dad and my kids or, or uh, done projects here at the church. Somebody almost always says at the end of the project, if it's pretty good, they'll stand back and say, not bad for beginners. Not bad for beginners. Just think of this. You got a room, a bunch of dejected, terrified disciples, and in like 200 years, they're threatening the whole Roman Empire. Not bad for beginners. Not bad. This is why the craft analogy, I think, breaks down. Because the thing that keeps us in the craft is not ultimately our, our own skill, our great abilities or whatever, but it's the fundamental principle that at the heart of it, which is forgiveness. The thing that you know, we don't, we don't separate the people who are not skilled from the people who are skilled. You know, we don't, we don't have like a hierarchy in the church of the people who are super good at forgiveness and then the ones who stink at it. What we have are a whole bunch of people who are forgiven and are therefore in the craft. So while it is true, when we think about belief, it is true that some of it is about being open to something larger than ourselves. And some of it is a form of investigation. Some of it is learning. But there is something more to it than both of those. There's something greater. Something like a craft, but even greater than a craft. Ultimately, belief is a gift. Belief is a gracious call to all of us not to receive all the answers, not to discover that we had it in us all along in the first place, but to set out on an adventure into the unknown. Sometimes that adventure is exhilarating and sometimes it is frankly humiliating. But the call is to follow, 
And in following, we will truly see, we will walk, we will go, we will learn, we will practice, we will keep going and going, and then we will fail, and then we will begin again and again and again. You can't go too slow for this master. Even if you're caught like Thomas in unbelief, he still shows up a week later and says, let me show you how this works. You cannot fail too much. He is a patient master, and his greatest masterpiece is his relationship with us. Amen. Father, this morning we begin again. There may be some folks who have this figured out. Lord, you know I am not one of them. And so I thank you. I come to you in gratitude that you're with us, teaching, showing us the way of forgiveness, the healed wounds, and you're guiding us along the path. Lord, may we not lose heart. May we help one another along. And may we always look to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.